As you know, we're, we're taking a break this uh, summer from the book of Matthew, and we're doing a nuts and bolts series, and uh, I get to spend four weeks talking to you about the church. And so last time uh, I was here talking about the church, uh, I gave you kind of my working definition of the church, uh, that it is first uh, people who have been chosen by God, purchased second by the blood of Christ, and third, uh, purposed with displaying and declaring the gospel throughout the world. So people who have uh, been chosen by God, purchased by Christ, and purposed with displaying and declaring the gospel throughout the world. As as pastors, we we feel this burden to kind of continually fight this idea of, of a consumeristic type of a faith. Now, we we do consume, right? We come here on Sundays, we come here for other gatherings, and we consume fellowship, and we consume the Word, uh, and and we do consume those things. But the church, uh, as we talked about last time, is not entirely a a consumeristic endeavor, yet often our approach uh, to church can be very consumeristic. And we've kind of conditioned people for this for many years, decades even now, um, that, that it's all about you and Jesus, And it's not. It's not all about you and Jesus. Christ died for the church. He died for a people, and He's he's called, and He's formed, and He's marked off a people. And so this idea of an individualistic Christianity just needs to go. And and so so we're always having to combat that. When God calls His people, He doesn't call a bunch of individuals. He calls a people collectively. When Christ died, He didn't die for a bunch of individuals. He died for a people collectively. The Bible reminds us, as we talked about last time, that there was a time when everyone in this room did not belong to God's people. You weren't a part of God's people. We're all a part of God's people in the sense that we're all cre- every human being is created in the image of God. Right? And God loves every human being, but as we saw last time that God has, has formed a people uh, here today called the church. And as Christians, as followers of Christ, you have the incredible privilege of being a part of the church. And it's within the context of the church where much of our faith plays out. Not, not exclusively in the church, like our faith plays out out there too. But, but much of our faith plays out in the context of the church. God defines those who are His so that we would purposefully and collectively build up and encourage each other while declaring His glory and goodness throughout the world. It's for this reason that the church has been established. Jesus said that you would know those who follow Him by their piety. He didn't say that. He said that you would know those who belong to Him in John 13, 35 by the way people inside the church love one another. The world would look and know who the Christians are by the way the Christians love other Christians. And this is by God's design. And He also tells us that even in in all of its flaws, like if you've spent any time being a part of a church, uh, you know that, that the church is flawed because the church is full of flawed, broken, sinful people. Uh, We read headlines sometimes about how flawed the church is, but Jesus tells us that even in spite of that, that the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. The church is here till the end, right? The church is going to survive. Even in all of its flaws and all of its brokenness, the church uh, is not going anywhere because Christ laid down His life 
for the church, his bride. All, all of that means, if all of that's true, it means that the church matters. If all of this is true, it means that the church is more than just a place that you come. If all of that's true, it means the church is more than just an activity in which you participate. The church matters. And God has designed us to live out our faith within the context of the church. Christians rubbing elbows with other Christians, giving opportunity to love and to serve and to forgive one another. But more than that, uh, Proverbs 18.1 tells us that whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire and he breaks out against all sound judgment. We're not meant as Christians to live in isolation, to live as lone rangers. We're meant to live kind of in community. We're meant to live collectively. And the Bible tells us that when we go against that, that it goes against all sound judgment. Not, not just that it's a bad idea, but it goes against all sound judgment. Again, the world will know who the Christians are by the way that Christians love other Christians, and this is God's good and perfect design that it be that way. Last time we looked at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, and I just want to remind us of this again. And it says that you, church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people, and once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And it's in light of this truth that once we didn't belong to God's people, once we had not been under God's mercy, and because now, Christian, He has brought you into His people and He has shown you mercy that He didn't show you before, that, that, that's a story that needs to be told. That's something that we're all called to go out there and tell people about. Here's what God has done for me. And so with that in mind, so last time we, we talked about how the church was formed and how it came to be. Today we're going to talk about how the church is organized. And uh, this is going to be practical. I'm going to throw some different scriptures at you. We don't have a main text that we're going to camp out in today. Uh, but we're going to talk about kind of the organization of the church. And so the first piece of the church organized is that the church has a defined membership. And I'm not talking about like a sign your name on the dotted line kind of a membership. I'm talking about uh, the members of the church who are the people of God. If you are a Christian, if you've submitted to God's rule and authority in your life, if you've come to Him in repentance and in faith, you belong to the church. Now, there's some different ways we can look at the church, right? We can look at uh, the church as being more than what you see here, right? right? This, this is kind of one expression of the church, our local church. But, but there's the idea that the church is global, right? There are churches like this all, all over the world that are meeting, uh, some of them right now just as we are. Uh, and, and we're all collectively a part of the church for which Christ died. We're all part of the global church. But we can also think of the church in more universal terms as we think about the church throughout time and history. Right? The church goes back a long time. And should the Lord tarry, the church will continue for a long time to come, maybe even beyond our lifespans. And so the church is so much bigger in a sense than, than what you might think. Right, so so global church, universal church, we're all we're all part of that. 
There's also, think about this, the church that's visible. Like you can look around and you can see who's here and who's a part of it. You can drive into town and you can see you know, church after church after church, buildings. But, but there's also an invisible church that we can't see. There are parts of the world where they can't do what we're doing here. They can't for threat of safety, threat of their lives, right? And so thankful that we live in a place where we can do this openly without any kind of threat uh, or anything like that, but, but consider that there are brothers and sisters throughout the world that don't have the freedom to do what we're doing now. There are brothers and sisters throughout the world that might not even have the freedom to carry around a Bible, let alone open it and read from it. Can't do that. And then we have the church that's local, right here. Our church, the door, right? You can look around, you can see who's in the room. This is the church local. And Paul, when he talks about the local church, has some things to say. So in our church, we consist of people from varying backgrounds, right? Look around the room and you can see different, you know, people that have done different things in their life, have different experiences, different socioeconomic statuses. And one of the beautiful things about the church is that that all comes together in a way that it wouldn't come together in the absence of the church, right? We're, we're all friends here that we might not be friends if not for the church. Our paths in life may not cross, but they do here, right? That's a beautiful thing and it's part of God's design. And so the members of the church consist of people from varying backgrounds, all of whom have been born again and have made a covenant or a commitment to serve, encourage, and edify one another and have demonstrated a commitment to the vision, the mission, the beliefs, the values here of our local church, the door. Each member, it's worth noting, plays a vital role and has been called and gifted by God to serve their local church that consists of many members that make up one body. The Bible would even use the analogy that we're, we're all sheep of a flock, and there's a lot we can say about sheep, and I'm not going to today because you've heard all of the dumb sheep jokes, but we're all sheep that are part of a flock. The Bible even calls us living stones of a temple. Think about that one. Living stones of a temple. <clears throat> I think about when I was in middle school, my, my folks bought some lakefront property at a lake that had been dry for many years because the dam had issues. And so got some property for cheap and built a house. And my summers uh, throughout kind of late middle school and high school were spent driving down into the lake bottom and loading up the pickup with flat rock so that we could build fences around the property with this flat rock. And the fences looked pretty cool, but it just represented a bunch of work for me. Summer after summer, just you know, loading up these rocks. But you know what? I mean, this was, this was a while ago, a few years ago, and those fences still stand today. They still stand. The, the Bible calls us as members of a church that, that we're living stones of a temple. Think about what that looks like, living stones. Like every stone in, a, in, a, in these rock walls or every stone in a structure, it matters. Right? If you pull one stone out of a structure, the structure is compromised. Living stones of a temple. The Bible uses the analogy even of a family. And some of you have experienced within the church having family that's not necessarily your family, right? You, you found a kind of a family here that, that goes beyond blood. That's a beautiful thing, and it's, it's by God's design. 
Well, what a privilege it is that we get to belong to that. An absolute privilege. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12, Paul says that just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. If you think about your own body, and Paul even talks about this elsewhere, it would be ridiculous for one part of your body to say, you know what, I'm going to go it on my own over here. Your big toe can't just say, you know what, I'm tired of being attached to this, I'm going to go over here and go, I mean, it's just, it's stupid. It's unrealistic, and, and, and even if your big toe or whatever body part had the ability to do that, if a part of your physical body separates from the rest of the body, it's not going to survive. It just isn't. It just isn't. And so Paul uses this analogy very intentionally that the church is a body, it has many members, every part of the body plays some kind of a role, right? We have some weird parts in our physical bodies that we're not totally sure what, what they all do, but, but we know that, that every part of our body does something that's important and something that matters. And if any part of our body disappears, the entire body has to make up for that. Romans 12, 4 to 5, Paul says that in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Think about that. We belong to each other. Have you considered that in your involvement in the local church that the Bible tells you that, that you don't necessarily belong to yourself, that we all belong to one another? Sorry if that ruffles feathers, but that's, that's the Bible. That's what the Bible tells us is that we belong to one another, meaning that we have responsibility to one another. We have an obligation to one another. So everybody who is a follower of Christ is a member of the church. And so when I say defined membership, that, that's what I mean, is that we all belong to the body of Christ in this broad sense. And as a Christian, you're now part of a local church. And so you belong to this local church, maybe in a deeper way than, than you belong to the larger you know, universal church. You, you belong here. And, and it's by, again, God's good design that you're not isolated and that you're not alone. We're not meant to live out our faith apart from the local church. And it's the way that you love one another within this context that shows the watching world who the people of God are. And it shows them something about who God is, right? When, when we exercise this love for one another in the way that God has intended us to exercise this love. So as we think about the church organized, we, we first have a defined membership, and then out of that defined membership, uh, the Bible tells us that the church is organized under qualified leadership. And we don't have time today to, to just unpack uh, all of what that means, but, but we are going to broadly uh, talk about how the church is structured under the leadership of elders and deacons. So there, there are really two biblical offices for leadership in the church, and, and those are elders and deacons. Uh, over the years of, of engaging in ministry, I've, I've seen some weird leadership roles in churches. <laughs> I, I've seen a church that has a coffee pastor, and, and that's, these are big churches, by the way, but, you know, it, like they have a, a person whose job is to make sure that, like, the coffee is ready and that it's hot, that it's good. Uh, I've seen churches with parking lot pastors, like basically the one who directs 
traffic. And I don't know that I would consider those to be, you know, pastoral roles. Um, I don't know if the Bible would consider those to be pastoral roles. Um, I've also seen, you know, larger churches that have, uh, they might have an executive pastor, which, which basically is an administrator uh, in most cases. Um, again, maybe not necessarily a, a pastoral role. Uh, we, we did a podcast a while back where we kind of unpacked some of the, the different titles of pastors that we've all seen uh, over the years. But in a broad sense, uh, the, the Bible has two offices within the church. So within that defined membership, there are some who are going to be called to be elders as God's gift to the church and some who are going to call to be deacons as God's gift to the church. And one is not a stepping stone to the other uh, necessarily. These are two distinct roles that the Bible outlines. Bible depicts elders as those who faithfully and willingly oversee the spiritual needs of a local congregation while shepherding the flock and guarding doctrine. And the Bible depicts deacons as those who willingly and diligently serve the practical and physical needs of that same local fellowship. These offices, according to the Bible, are made up of a plurality of servant leaders who meet the biblical qualifications to hold such offices. And you know us around here, we're we're big fans of simplicity. And so we try not to overcomplicate things with parking lot and coffee pastors and things like that. The Bible says there's elders and deacons, and so we we have elders and we have deacons. Talk about elders here for a moment. 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer, and we would say that that overseer, bishop, elder, pastor, all, all the same thing, all interchangeable, same mean the same thing. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil." Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Titus 1, 5 to 9. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appointed elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach, He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. And finally, 1 Peter 5, 1-5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, You who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, we don't have time to unpack all of those today. That's another 
sermon for another time. But as you can see, there's not a whole lot of skills that are listed here for somebody to exercise leadership in the local church. Did you notice that in here, um, being entrepreneurial, it wasn't on the list? Did, Did you notice that being a visionary was not on the list? Did you notice that uh, being an A-type personality, not on the list? Did you notice of all these things that we just read that it was primarily character things that were on the list? Character. The the only real skill that we see in all of what we just read is is that an elder should have the ability to teach. That's a skill. Everything else has to do with, with a man's character. And these are the people that that got out of this defined membership. It's the people that have the character that God says, we're going to raise these people up as leaders and follow them. And as Paul would say, in so far as they follow Christ. Because they have a character that exemplifies who Christ is. These two offices, and we'll talk about deacons here in a moment, but these Two offices of elders and deacons. Again, elders providing for the spiritual care of the church and deacons providing for the practical care of the church are God's gift within that defined membership that the church would function. And we would do well to recognize that. Now, we would also do well to recognize that just because someone doesn't hold a role and, and I, I, even though the Bible would call these offices, I, I like to think of these more in terms of roles because everybody plays a role, right? Um, you know, we, we don't subscribe to this idea that, that you know, leadership in the church is, is elevated, right? We're, we're all members of the church. We're all living stones of a temple. Like, we're, we're all just part of the structure here, right? And, and everybody play, plays a role, and I think it's helpful to think of it in, in those terms. Everybody plays a role. Every member plays a role in the care of one another, Everybody, and so, so if your attitude is one that, well, you know, we have people that we pay to do these things, right? That, that's not a biblical view of the church. Everybody that calls this their church, everybody who's a follower of Christ that calls this their church, you, your presence here matters and your involvement matters, right? It matters. The passages that, that we just read... They're extensive in their list of qualifications for the role of elders. And as it pertains to elders, the Bible uses the terms pastor, shepherd, elder, overseer. Again, those are all interchangeable terms. We would not make a distinction between pastors and elders. A lot of churches do. A lot of churches will have their pastors who are the people that are on staff. They might have an elder board uh, that would consist of maybe people who have been successful in business. Uh, and really, that really would be more of a financial oversight board at the end of the day. But but a lot of churches would make those distinctions, and we don't we don't make those distinctions here because the Bible we believe doesn't make those distinctions. In many churches, pastors are likened to uh, CEOs or directors of organizations, and that's the case. Again, I don't, I, you're going to be hard pressed to make a biblical argument for that being the role of the pastor, right? The primary analogy that the Bible uses for the role of pastor is that of shepherd. And I, I didn't grow up shepherding anything. I didn't grow up around animals or on a farm, but, but I suspect it's pretty messy work and inglorious work and dirty work, right? 
Not, not real glamorous. And that's the analogy that the Bible uses for that of pastor or elder. Interestingly enough, everything that we just read about the qualifications of elders, all of those character things that we just read, I don't know if you're aware of this, but, but there is not a thing on that list, with the exception of the ability to teach, that isn't required elsewhere in the Bible of every Christian. Right? You might read that list and think, well, I'm glad I don't have to live up to that list. Well, you do. Right? <laughs> Everything on that list, the Bible says, should be characteristics of other Christians. Now, within, again, this defined membership, there are some that maybe exemplify, have exemplary character, and the Bible says follow those people as much as they follow Christ. But you, Christian, are not off the hook for living up to these character traits that the Bible lists of pastors and, and really of all Christians. As we think about deacons, the Greek word diakonos simply means servant, but there are some instances in the Bible where <clears throat> this Greek word seems to be used as more of a title, uh, meaning somebody's filling a role. Philippians 1, verses 1 to 2, Paul in his greeting to the church at Philippi, he says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So Paul seems to call out this group of people. So the overseers are the elders and the deacons. We read earlier 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, well, it goes on in 8 to 13 to list qualifications for deacons, and it says this, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And so again, <clears throat> elders would oversee the spiritual needs of a, of a local church and deacons would oversee the practical needs of a church. We see in Acts chapter 6 where, where this office becomes instituted. Right? There was a problem with the food distribution and, and the pastors, were, were their time was being taken away from being devoted to prayer and the Word to having to figure out the food distribution. And so they picked from among them a number of people whose job it was to handle this food distribution so that the pastors could tend to the spiritual needs of the church, right? And so, so we see great wisdom uh, in that. And I have to say, um, you know, we have deacons both here at our 3R location and our Lapine location uh, that take that burden off of the pastors. Thank you for those of you that do that. Um, we can devote our time to prayer and the Word. We can devote our time to caring for the spiritual needs of the church because we have faithful people who are overseeing the practical needs of the church. And again, I mentioned this already, but you know, be, being a deacon is not necessarily a stepping stone to being an elder. We don't see that precedent set in the Bible. That's not to say that it shouldn't or, or that it would never happen, uh, but it's just not necessarily the prescription that the Bible gives us of these two distinct offices or roles within the church. And so we're thankful 
uh, for the deacons that we do have. Um, probably a lot of what the deacons do, you all never see and, and may not even be aware of uh, because things happen kind of behind the scenes, right? Um, you know, the building gets cleaned every week. You may not notice that when you come in, but it gets cleaned every week when things break. Somebody fixes them all of the time. Um, and, and it's not like the people that do these things don't stand up and say, hey, I, did, I fixed the, the broken toilet this week. Everybody pat me on the back. We don't have those kinds of deacons. As a matter of fact, if you did that, that might be your last day as a deacon, right? Things happen that, that you may not even be aware of because people contribute uh, with little fanfare, uh, and they do so behind the scenes because they love and care for all of you, right? The pastries get put out every week, which means somebody goes somewhere to pick up the pastries that gets put out every week. And you know what? They get cleaned up every week. I don't come in on a Monday and see, you know, crumbs on the floor in the community room because somebody took care of it because that's what deacons do. So we have a defined membership, meaning we all belong to the body of Christ as followers of Christ. We're all, by God's good plan and good design, part of the local church, and we're privileged to get to be a part of the local church. Within that defined membership, there's qualified leadership, elders and deacons, who the Bible defines as people with exemplary character who serve the local church out of that exemplary character. And then the third component of the church organized is that we have intentional gathering. And I'm going to talk about this in depth next time, so so I'm just going to kind of do a flyby on this today. We'll get into our gatherings more next time. But the regular gatherings of the church include corporate gatherings like this, right, where everybody's here, or almost everybody's here, as well as smaller gatherings or groups that happen throughout the week. Our corporate gatherings consider of Christ-centered preaching, and if that ever goes away, you have permission to not be here. Our corporate gatherings consist of the observance of the sacraments, communion and baptism. Our corporate gatherings consist of prayer. We've seen that today and the fellowship of believers. Now, some of you, some of you get here late, and you leave early, and you miss out on the fellowship. Some of you show up quite early and stay quite late, and, and you soak up all of it that you can. And I want to encourage you that, first and foremost, if this is the only, your only participation in the church is, is only the Sunday gathering, you're shortchanging yourself. You're missing out. The church does not consist of just the Sunday gathering. Granted, it's, it's the biggest thing we do, the thing that the most people come to. Good opportunity to, to see people that you might not otherwise see. But, but if this is it for you, you are shortchanging yourself. You're shortchanging yourself by missing out on, on what the church has to offer outside of the Sunday gathering. Right? If you're not gathering throughout the week in some way, Right? We know that just schedules and busyness of life and work and kids, it's like you can't make everything. We get that. We get that. But, but if you don't have fellowship outside of Sunday, you are selling yourself short on the church that God has called you to be a part of. These small groups that meet throughout the week, we've got you know, men's Bible studies, the, the ladies have some hikes coming up or bike rides and different things like that. Uh, even just going to one another's homes for dinner or whatever your schedule allows. Um, it, it's an expression of loving one another 
in a way that the world will see how Christians love one another. Like it's, it's your mark as a disciple of Christ that you would love one another in between Sundays, not just on Sundays. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 encourages us with this. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day coming. And this passage in Hebrews doesn't say, let us consider on Sundays or let us consider only at the corporate gathering how to do these things. It just makes a blanket statement and the implication is that we would be doing this all of the time in every opportunity that we have. I would encourage you that if you're not reaching out to one another throughout the week, that you ought to be. It's the most encouraging thing in the world when I get a phone call or a text from somebody that says, hey, I'm praying for you this week. One guy in particular, every Monday, the pastors get a text from one of you every Monday. Whether they're here or not, they just send a Monday text praying for you guys. It's almost the same text every week, but it matters. It means a lot. Means a lot when those things happen. So I'd encourage you to do as the Bible says and consider how you might encourage one another on a regular basis. How you might have opportunities to love the other Christians that you know in between Sundays, that we would have intention in our gatherings. And so, again, we have intention in this gathering, it's the big gathering that we do, our big huddle, if you will. But, but are we intentional about our littler gatherings between Sundays? Again, we have different things going on on, our, on the church calendar that you can be a part of, but um, if you want to do something that's not on the calendar, you have permission to do something that's not on the calendar. <laughs> you have permission, not that you need it, but you have permission to invite one another over for dinner and to organize your own gatherings. And you have permission in those gatherings to not necessarily have to have a Bible study. We're all about Bible study. But you have permission to get together with one another and just be social and get to know one another and learn about one another's lives. If you want to have a Bible study, great. If you want to pray for each other, great. But be intentional in your day-to-day gatherings. Sunday mornings are not the totality of the church. And, and sadly, for some it is, but, but it shouldn't be. And so again, if, if, if Sunday morning for you is the totality of the church, please don't sell yourself short anymore. Don't isolate yourself because it's not good. It's not part of God's design. <clears throat> I'll end by saying this. Gospel-centered community is a community that's marked by the local fellowship of believers who, because of their union with Christ, have joined together as committed members of one another. Being of the same mind as Christ, members live for the good of one another and the glory of God displaying the nature of Jesus for the world to see. There's a witness that happens because of our community. There's a witness that happens to the watching world. As we look at Acts 2.42, Pastor Brent talked about that last week. These things that I'm talking about were happening at the birth of the church. And I don't know if you missed this part or not, but in Acts 2.42, in that passage, it tells us that outsiders were looking in. 
God was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. They had favor with God and with all the people. And so the watching world was looking at the church and, and, and it intrigued them. And they said, you know what? I need to go check that out. And lo and behold, they became a part of it because of the witness of the early church. Right? And so, so there's this aspect to, to living the way that God has called us to live, that, that it is a witness to the world about the beauty of the church and, and the glory of Christ. So let me read this one more time. Gospel-centered community is marked by a local fellowship of believers who, because of their union with Christ, have joined together as committed members of one another. Being of the same mind of Christ, members live for the good of one another and the glory of God, displaying the nature of Jesus for the world to see. So our church is organized under defined membership, qualified leadership, and intentional gathering because that's what the Bible tells us to do. So be encouraged that you are privileged to be a part, first and foremost, of the defined membership. And because you're privileged to be a part of that, consider how you might contribute to that membership. Consider your contribution to the local church. Everybody's contribution is simply just to show up. Like, we need you here. We need you here. When you're not here, we miss you. Right, pastors, we get, we get together on Sunday afternoons and, and we debrief because we're not in the same place at the same time. And one of the first questions that, that we all ask, like, who was there today? Or who wasn't, like, who, who didn't you see today? That, that's a regular part of our conversation. When, when you're not here, we notice. When you're not here, we miss you. More than that, when you're not here, you're missing out on what God has for you, Right? So be reminded that it's a privilege to be a part of the local church. Next time, we're going to talk a little more about our gatherings and the intention behind our gatherings. But for now, consider your contribution to the local church and what it is for you. Father, we're grateful this morning uh, that you have instituted the church. We're grateful that you have called all of us to be a part of it who uh, are followers of Christ. For those of us that have turned to you in faith and repentance and have submitted to your rule in our life, we're privileged to be a part of this thing called the church. And so God, help that to not be lost on us today. Help us to continually uh, consider um, the beauty of the church and the privilege that we get to be a part of it. Help us to consider on a regular basis, not only what we get from our involvement in the local church, but what we can contribute uh, to the function of the local church as well. Help us to love one another well. Help us to live um, for the good of one another and the glory of Christ uh, as we uh, endeavor to um, support the local church. And so, God, we're thankful for that, and we ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.